can pray for me as I have to follow Batman up. <laughs> uh, the Batman. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are at the end, it's been crazy, the end of this series called uh, uh, The Biblical Recipe for uh, Success. Uh, last year I had this crisis of faith where I was looking at everything in my life and saying I feel like a failure. I was looking at metrics of the world and then concluding that my life was a failure, and I came across this verse that showed me, well, if God has different metrics of success, then maybe I'm seeing failure where God doesn't. Uh, and so the verse that kind of rocked me uh, was Proverbs 3, uh, 3 through 4, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, that you may find good favor and success with God uh, and with man. We broke this up into a recipe looking at faithfulness, looking at steadfast love, looking at commitment, looking at the heart, that we're going to put that all into a blender, and when we put it into a blender, here's what we can expect to come out of the oven, uh, good favor, success uh, with God and with man. We came up with a definition that said, uh, biblical success is when God's ways and God's heart uh, become my way and my heart. That's what we're all striving for as Christians. <laughs> To live as if Christ was living our lives. Uh, and so uh, with that, we're going to kind of close out this series with perhaps uh, you know, somebody from the Old Testament, the very first book of Genesis, that perhaps uh, and, um, exemplifies this maybe better than anybody else short of Christ. Uh, and so before we go there and to follow up Batman, why don't we, uh, why don't we pray? Uh, God, I thank you for this morning. Father, Lord, I thank you that there are times that we can feel like a failure, but you don't see failure. <laughs> Father, I, I thank you for an opportunity to look at you, to look at what you consider to be important. Father, to, to reflect upon how you want us to live our lives. And so, Father, in that heartbeat, Father, would, would we leave here changed not by the environment, uh, not by uh, anything short of how you use this time. Father, would you change us to make us more like your son as we leave this place? In your name, amen. amen. Up on the, uh, on the screen is, uh, is young Ava, uh, young Jason. And uh, back, uh, back in the day, uh, just a ball of joy, uh, I, uh, this was right around the time where Ava and I uh, found out uh, that we were uh, going to have our first child uh, about 12 years ago. And, uh, and so right around this time, so we go, we go to the doctors for our first appointment, and, uh, and we're there, and the doctor looks a little concerned, which is always great for an anxious wife. And, uh, and so then they're like, okay, well, hey, you have, you have something with your uterus, and so you need to go see a, a high-risk uh, doctor. And we're like, cool. Like, if you know my wife, just the word high-risk, uh, pregnancy, emotions, hormones, uh, that was uh, awesome. It really was hard for me as a husband to deal with that. So you guys, thank you. Uh, and so uh, I digress. But anyway, so we go to this high-risk doctor uh, who was very blunt, very just like straightforward. And he's like, he looks at Ava and was like, do you drink red wine? 
And she's like, no, and, and his words were, well, you should, uh, because uh, if you get stressed out, you will lose this baby. Now, again, like if you know my wife, he is saying maybe things that are factually true, but he's not saying the right thing to my wife. <laughs> and so the, what my wife has, and she's made sure that if you are a doctor of women in this room, that I might screw up some of the terms, okay? I was D's get degrees. I am no doctor. But from what I understand, my wife has a bicorneate uterus that is severely misshaped. It looks like two uteri. And basically, if a child is born on this side, then it has a good chance of surviving. If it's born on the wrong side, it has, it has a very likelihood that it will not survive. And so Ava and I have experienced miscarriages. And in that moment... That first child, as, as a doctor is looking at two parents with the joy of parenting and saying, you better not get stressed out because you might lose this child at any point over the next nine months. <laughs> we had the joy, and we also felt like we were drowning all in that moment. It's a moment that right now many of us can relate to. <laughs> we're fighting to get ahead, but we can't seem like we can get our head above water. There's moments where we feel like we're drowning, and often when we feel like we're drowning, we become nearsighted. It's hard to keep a long view when pain is so near. It's hard to stay humble and selfless through pain when pain is all around us, and, and, and really when we feel like we are drowning. And so today, yes, I do want to look at a man named Joseph. To look at an example of, of the humble and how the humble don't grumble or mumble. <laughs> and in that, the Lord Jesus leads us to a place of success with God and with man as Christ defines success. And so we're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 41. Uh, don't turn to the second book of the Bible because you will have gone too far. Uh, stay right there at the very beginning. Uh, Genesis 40, 41. And uh, it will be on the screen. You can also Google it, Genesis 41 ESV uh, and whatnot. Pull it up on, on, your, on your phones. It starts off like this. <laughs> After two whole years. Now, we're kind of parachuting into the text, and so that demands for you and I a little bit of context. Joseph is, is a guy that comes from a family of 12 dudes. He's the 11th kid. He's a peon in the family, but he's of the favorite wife, because back in that culture and in Utah, you can have multiple wives, uh, and so uh, I only know Ava, and like she's my wife, but apparently there's some cultures where you can have the multiples, and so he's from the favorite wife. I don't know what that's like, but anyways, so he's from the favorite wife, and, uh, and so uh, he's a favorited son. You would think everything's great. Dad Jacob sends them on a trip to go see the other, the older sons. They see him coming and they're like, their jealousy gets the best of them. And they're like, let's kill him. That's what you and I would do, right? Uh, and, and so there was one son with common sense that says, no, let's just sell him. Uh, and so bada bing, bada boom, uh, they sell Joseph into slavery to some traders heading to Egypt. They tell their dad that he must have died. They tear up his coat and whatnot. And there he is, doing something for his dad, and now he's sold. He finds himself in a caravan heading to a land he knows nothing of. He gets there, he's sold to, he's sold to this military guard, uh, man's man type person, a guy named Potiphar. 
He's doing so great. Potiphar is like, let me put you in charge of the entire house. He is experiencing success in the most unlikely of circumstances. <laughs> but then Potiphar's wife was like, yo, I like you. <laughs> you like me? <laughs> and Joseph's like, no. <laughs> I serve a living God. <laughs> And so he, she tries to take advantage of him, and he runs away, flees from the scene, but leaves his coat behind. And, and so then she's embarrassed and is like, well, you know what? He came on to me. <laughs> Classic he said, she said. And, and, so, and so Potiphar throws him into jail. <laughs> there he is. He, he, he goes from like, serve, like honoring his dad to the brothers doing what? And, that, and then a, a caravan, and then, and then Potiphar's house. And now he's sitting in a jail cell, all for doing the right thing. With an, for an indefinite, like he's not like awaiting a trial. It's an indefinite amount of time that he's sitting in jail. Now two of his inmates have a, uh, have a dream. They each have different dreams. And so Joseph has this, this, this gift to be able to interpret dreams. And so he's like, hey, I can tell you what these dreams mean. Bad news for you, you're going to die in a few days. But for you, you you're going to get out. You're, and when you get out, Mr. Cupbearer, please let the king know. Let, I'm innocent. Let me, let me be released. And so that's where we pick up after two whole years. These two individuals, one died, one got out of jail. Joseph has been sitting in jail waiting to be released. Two, two years ago was pre-COVID. It was February 2020. Doesn't that seem like ages ago? And Joseph has been sitting in jail. King, the king, Pharaoh, has a dream. No, he calls all the wise men. Guys, guys, come here. Tell me what this dream means. What does this mean? It has to mean something. What does this dream mean? No one can answer him. And then the cupbearer says, <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> and so we're going to pick it up in verse 9. It says, then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. He sees his forgetfulness as an, an offense. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief uh, baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on, this, on that same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When he told him, he interpreted our dreams uh, to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. He was restored. Uh, I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Had that cupbearer remembered right then and there to honor his promise to Joseph, two years earlier, Joseph would not be here right now interpreting the stream. God's timing is perfect. But in those two years of waiting, Joseph didn't feel that way. The Pharaoh, uh, wise men, wise men, wise men, failure, 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 failure. He's looking, for a, he's looking to the people that should know how to do this. He would never think, you know what, where could I find somebody to interpret this dream? Oh yeah, the local jail. <laughs> but that's exactly where guidance is going to come from. 
about, I don't know how many years ago, a handful of years ago, when I was working at my previous, uh, previous job as a youth pastor, uh, I was on the pastoral staff, and, uh, and this lady, I emailed my senior pastor, uh, this lady kind of known for being like a negative Nelly, uh, uh, emailed my uh, senior pastor and said, I need to talk to all the pastors, and, uh, and why he said yes to it, I don't know, really know, but he said yes to it, uh, and so there was this, an appointment on one random day. Uh, we all the pastors get in uh, in this room, and, uh, and this lady comes in who had a, a word from God, and, uh, and her word from God uh, went directly against uh, Scripture, so she didn't have a word uh, from God. Uh, and it was this one time where, like, my, my pastor at the time was not known for being, like, vocal and not known for kind of being, kind of like, not even raising his voice, but like, kind of like being forceful. Uh, and he was like, as soon as he saw that this was going against God's word, he was like, this conversation is over. Uh, and he was very firm saying, no, this is not from God because it goes directly against God's word. Bada bing, bada boom, uh, the lady left. And so afterwards, uh, he, he looked at the pastor. He's like, okay, so uh, where do we need to hear God through this? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you know, like, that lady's tripping, and you want us to try to you want us to try to hear God through this. And I remember uh, my much wiser pastor uh, saying to me, Jason, <laughs> if God can speak through a donkey in Scripture, <laughs> He can speak through anybody. <laughs> And so we're going to look over this situation and try to, yes, acknowledge where the lies are, but acknowledge also where God might be speaking something to us that we need to hear. That has always stuck with me. We go through hard and troubling times, and sometimes the people that we think should be speaking wisdom to us don't. But sometimes unexpected wisdom comes from unexpected places. Sometimes it does come from the negative Nelly, the donkey, or the jail cell. Are you willing to hear the voice of God when the voice of God comes? And we can think like this because he's given us his word to know when there is a lie. He's given us prayer, and we have an advocate before God Almighty that we can pray to. He's given us a discerning spirit. He's given us the counsel of many saying, hey, I heard this to my friends that love Jesus and love me. Does this, do you think there is some merit to this, he's given us things that we can hear in God's voice through the negative Nelly, the donkey, and the jail cell. So without knowing your situation, perhaps you're looking for wisdom, but wisdom has already been expressed to you, just not from the desirable place that you thought it would come. Here's how the story plays on, and now I'm going to do a little bit of reading because this dream is extensive. Then Pharaoh sent uh, and called Joseph and quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, and he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, here is his moment after a life of hardship. It's not me. <laughs> it is not in me. God will give, me, give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold my dream. Uh, was I was standing on the banks of the Nile, uh, and cows, uh, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed on the, on, uh, on the reed grass. Other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin. Uh, what is an ugly cow? Uh, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And then the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven uh, plump cows, and when they had eaten them, uh, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as uh, the beginning. He... 
This is a different world. Um, and so uh, then I awoke, uh, and I also saw in my dream uh, seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and, and blight, blah, 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 uh, by the east wind uh, sprouted out after them, and the thin ears swallowed up uh, the seven good ears. And I uh, told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up uh, after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears uh, blighted uh, by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, also, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty, prosperity in the land of Egypt. But after the seven, after them will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown to the land, reason, uh, to the reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this is a is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, now he gives Pharaoh some advice. Let Pharaoh select a discerning uh, and a wise man. Let him set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers uh, over the land, and let him take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt. During the seven year plentiful years, let him gather all the land, these good years that are coming, and store it up in a grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let him keep it that Pharaoh should be, uh, that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. Joseph wakes up one morning sitting in a jail cell. <laughs> He's rushed before the king. He has a makeover on the, on the way to see the king. <laughs> the king's looking at him, and he doesn't see somebody that looks like he's been in a jail cell. He has this moment that is now laid out before him. Is it Joseph's time to get his? <laughs> Why? Like, how could he, how could he truly trust the, that God is completely in control given all that he's been through? But he does. <laughs> he stands before the king and he says, King, I can't interpret your dream, <laughs> but God can. The king, Pharaoh, you guys know Egypt? They consider their pharaohs to be deity, divine, <laughs> He's looking at what others consider to be a divine person and saying, no one else can, but the one true God can. And he almost makes it as a promise. He will do this. This is not, this is not judgment against Egypt. This is God's grace. He is giving you a heads up. There is great prosperity coming. Don't squander it. Don't waste it because right behind the seven years of greatness is coming seven years of famine and tragedy. And so, king, let me, hey, you should find somebody that, that, that will take advantage of this, store this, be wise for the years to come. And, and he, so he lays out this plan that is economically good because Pharaoh is going to get crazy rich off of this. <laughs> and it's also going to save the land. Joseph, given his past and his present and where he's going, in all of his life, his life of up and down, success in the jail cells, success in the pit, all of it. He's living a story for God's glory through it all. 
It was a little over a year ago now, where I know I've, I've talked about this much, but it was one of those most impactful moments of my life where, where we did lose our niece. And I, and I sat there at, at her funeral of a, of a 14-month-old child that had passed, and, and I, I'm sitting there, and, and my, my brother and his wife get up onto on the stage to address a room much like this, people there to, to honor Charlotte's life. And he sat there, and one of the things he said, and it rocked me then and it rocks me now, was that he, he thanked God for COVID. Not the disease of COVID. I understand how that has impacted all of us, and he clarified that. But he thanked God that of the 14 months of Charlotte's life, 12 of them he had to work from home. <laughs> and, and he looked and he said, because of that, I got 2,470 2, extra hours with my daughter. And he thanked God. He thanked God for that. I sat there right before they got up, and um, I, I was right there in the second row, and I saw my brother with his arm around his wife, and one hand and her hands are up, and they were both just belting out the song. It is well. It is well. And my mom and I were talking about it just a week or two ago, and she said, yep, that is burned in my memory them, to everybody else in the room, to us now as we relive it together. It was a story for God's glory. If you had lived Joseph's life up until this point, what would be your attitude? What would be your perspective? Would you be resilient or would you blame God or would you want to bring him fame? Would this be the time to get yours because, hey, it hasn't worked out me trying to do this whole God thing and so now I'm going to get mine. <laughs> or is this a time to say, you know what? I don't understand God's control, but I know he is in control. Joseph had reason to doubt. He had reason to go to a place of bitterness. That would have been easy for him. But he didn't take the bait. He remained humble, and God got all of the glory. I don't know what is before you. You may not feel like giving God glory, but despite the feeling, will you bring him glory? And in humility, will that be your focus? Here's how it turns out for Joseph. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can, can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God? He was just in a jail cell. <laughs> and then Pharaoh said to Joseph, uh, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so disturbing and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater to you than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him second makeover uh, in garments of fine linen. He put a gold chain around his neck. He has bling. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And then he called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without consent, no one shall lift a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called uh, Joseph's name, and he gave him into marriage to that girl. And then Joseph, uh, the, the daughter of that priest that we all have heard of, uh, of on. Uh, and so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. This person that everybody else sees as divine just looked at Joseph and said, 
No one has the spirit of God like you. God just got so much glory from that. Did, 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 did Pharaoh see Joseph's humility and say, that's promotable? <laughs> like, did, he, did he see, okay, not only is this a great plan, but in, in the spirit and how he's conducting himself, there is a trustworthy man. Joseph, you have shown yourself worthy of such a job. And so he's given this, this position. He's second in all of the land. He submitted himself to God, and God elevated him up. He gets two wardrobe changes that day. He gets a new chariot, which in that day and age is like a, a limousine ride. Now he's riding in style. He gets a signet ring, which means he can sign any legal document he wants. We know that there are going to be men going out before him in this chariot like the secret service of our day. He's given into a powerful marriage because of the person he's married to. Now he has a name of influence. What a day. Second in all the land of Egypt. He's likely still in his 30s. And you thought your 20s were hard. Perhaps your 20s are a setup to the 30s that are going to come. Stay humble and hungry. I wonder if he's sitting in the jail cell saying, God, God, please, please let Potiphar find out about his wife so I can go back to ruling Potiphar's house. <laughs> we don't know if he said that. <laughs> but you, I can imagine he, in one of those moments he would have wished to be back at Potiphar's house. But God said, no, I don't need you to rule over that house. I need you to rule over the land. <laughs> I have bigger plans for you. <laughs> we may not see the hand of God clearly in the moment, but we know because of what Joseph says in the later chapters to his brothers, he was able to look back and see the hand of God through it. Yeah. I texted uh, the Rajas this week, and they uh, were quick to tell me uh, their story through, uh, through housing uh, and quick to say, make sure you, God knows that the people know God's faithfulness through their story. Uh, Krista has this cool, they, they have a cool tradition where they, they take a picture, I think it's on their anniversary, anniversary where they take a picture and now there's like a picture and a picture and a picture and a picture and a picture. Uh, it's the Matrix, it's coming back. And... Uh, <laughs> And so uh, they do that, and this is uh, at their new house, uh, two beautiful child, children that, uh, like your children, love to sing in Kanto. We don't talk about Bruno. Uh, and so all throughout, all throughout the house. Uh, but many, many moons ago, uh, they, uh, they came back uh, one Christmas. There was only one child in the picture at that time. They come back from a Christmas uh, where they, they, they're coming back to their house, a house they had just recently bought. It was a foreclosure. They got a great deal. Uh, and, uh, and so they, they walk back into the house, and they're like, hmm, something's different. Uh, and a pipe had burst uh, up, in, up in the ceiling, and basically the whole house had to be gutted. Uh, and so where they had previously lived in mommy and daddy's basement, now they found themselves back in mommy's and daddy's basement uh, and wondering, like, what is going on? It got worse before it got better because they had to fight the insurance company. And then while they're in this great, great basement, they find out that they're pregnant with a second child. There was this moment where they felt like they were doing everything right, but they were being punished for it. It was a mental and a spiritual struggle to stay patient in the storm. They could not see in that moment what would become of the moment. And if you had told them then and there that, hey, someday God's going to use us for his glory, they would have said yes. 
But in their mind, they would not, you would not have been their friend. <laughs> Faith is believing without seeing. So here's what comes of, of their story. They were able to move back into their parents, graciously opened up their basements. They did a reno. They actually got an update paid by uh, uh, the insurance company. They were able to sell their house, make some money off it. They were able to see family come alongside them. They were able to see the church family come alongside them. They were able to now see the blessing of having a life group meet in their house. Every week on Fridays, you should join that life group. <laughs> If you had told the Rajas in that moment, hey, guys, stay faithful in the storm. One day you'll be in a new living room. You'll have two kids singing in Kantu and a life group giving testimony to the faithfulness of God. They would have told you that you were tripping, but here we are, and that is the reality. God does not promise to shield us. God does not promise to shield us from all evil. But God can accomplish his, his purposes through any circumstance. We serve an eternal God that demands an eternal view of allowing him to work through a process, work through the decades. You walk in here on a journey. The family drama that Joseph experienced was a setup to get him to Egypt. Stay humble. The situation, the false accusation was part of the success journey. It was a setup to get him to jail. Stay humble. The jail cell was part of a success journey. And when the jail cell became the setup to get him before the king, stay humble. And there before the king, the humility was on display to say, this is part of a journey. I will declare the name of Jesus to the king of all the land. Here's what we can walk away with through this story. Express humility to obtain success. This is all about the name of Jesus Christ. When you and I are humble, we are expressing our dependency on the Lord Jesus. Your success is not in your control. It's you being reliant upon the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and being obedient to his call. Stay faithful. Stay humble. And you will find the success that God gives you. Seven years of plenty, stay humble. Seven years of famine, stay humble. And the highs, stay humble. And the lows, stay humble. And you will know because the humble know the grace of God. And so I emailed, I, I texted our elders this week because this is something that I can struggle with. A group of elders, a group of a men, and, and Laura Milan who sits on that team, a, a, a group of individuals that have, have been forged, their spirituality have been forged through hardship. They have had financial woes. They've had financial successes. They've, they've lost loved ones. They've gone through uh, spouses with, with heartache. They've gone through their own children sometimes doing this. They've, they've had lost near and dear to them. They, they have gone through the gamut, and through the gamut is where God has forged spirituality. You can ask these, these individuals. And they will tell you it's the hardest times of their lives where faith grew the strongest. Because God works in that way. And so I asked them this question. How does humility keep us from grumbling in the midst of hardship? I'm going to read you their responses, and you might get a little a nugget of truth in there. So email me. I'll, I'll forward it on to you. One of them said, I don't have, con I don't have control. 
We don't know what the outcome will be. Humility forces us to trust the one who does have control. God uses struggle as a springboard. Another said pain is selfish. It keeps us in a heightened state of focusing on ourselves. Humility will push us beyond ourselves and will focus on something outside of ourselves. Another said complaining takes us back to the garden where we want control. Another said, I want to fix everything, and that's not possible. I have to humbly trust that God, uh, humbly trust God what I can't fix. And lastly, somebody said, complaining implies I deserve better. Entitlement is an aspect of grumbling and complaining. Humility says, nothing is owed to me. I will be grateful for all that I have. If you couldn't write fast enough, I will email it to you. So we left that office with the doctor and all the stress and whatnot, and we found ourselves within a few days uh, in, the, in the front office at Bayside Chapel, and, and either Ava and I, one of us, uh, said uh, we didn't understand why this was happening. We've been reading our Bible. We've been praying. Why, why, why wouldn't God keep us from hard times? We were young and silly. Um, and a very mature Fran Ward looked at us and, and said, Kids, <laughs> you don't read your Bible and pray to keep you from hard times. You read your Bible and you pray to get you through hard times. And that has always, always, always stuck with me. And so my challenge to you and I uh, today is on your way out, you're going to get a Go Deeper guide. We have some available to you, uh, for you. And these are just guides that allow you to pick a scripture, uh, scripture up at the top, answer a few questions, and write a short prayer. It gives you a moment where you can write sermon notes. We're going to do a series called Cease and Persist, talking about Sabbath. And I think this is going to be an important time for us as a church to realize that we grind, we do our part. God takes our human efforts and does what he only can do. And so God gave us a command to cease to be with him because the world does not revolve around us. Because he's God, we can pause. And so we're going to look at this, and I want to challenge you to give it a complete series. Come to the sermons, uh, take your notes, email me questions, do your journals. This, when life feels like this, will help steady you to the anchor of your soul. Scripture has a way of humbling us, and humble is good because God uses humble. Let's sing one more song. Would you stand with me?